Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries. And I am Eddie Quinones, and welcome back, everyone, to this week's version of the podcast. Um, So, kick right into it. Start off with our prior week's recap. So, I'm going to throw this your way, Nate. What did you have last week as the biggest upset? The biggest upset, this was an interesting one. It was actually the only pick I got wrong on our matchup predictions. It was the matchup between Jake and Kevin, Randy Marsh versus Penguins of Madagascar. So this matchup was super interesting because there was quite a bit of boom and bust for both teams involved. So in Kevin's lineup, you had Saquon Barkley, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Mike Kosicki and Juju Smith-Schuster, who all only combined for 23.1 total points from those four players. And then in Jake's lineup, you had Aaron Jones, Mike Davis, Raheem Mostert, who he did get hurt, so kind of gets a pass, I guess. But also Tyler Boyd, those four players only combined for 22.6 points on uh, Jake's side of the matchup. But then on the other hand, um, in terms of the boom, Kevin got 66.72 points from Jameis Winston, who I called his best pick of his draft uh, in last week's episode, and Tyree Kill, who we all know is a stud. So he got 66.7 points from those two guys alone. And then on Jake's side, he has a lot to be excited about with that quarterback room with Pat Mahomes and Jalen Hurts combining for 62.04 points. So, you know, four players on each side were very disappointing. Two players in particular on each side were very exciting, but the difference in the matchup ended up coming from each team's quote-unquote middling producers, where Kevin got over 15 points from all of the other three players, excluding defense and kicker, where Jake didn't get over 15 from any of his three remaining players. So... Uh, definitely really interesting to see how similarly the two teams performed, but Kevin obviously came out on top. What did you have for biggest upset, Eddie? I actually kind of looking at that matchup and everything. It's actually a really good one. I had uh, Lucas versus Michael. Um, and it was more so in terms of the amount of points actually Lucas put up against Michael um, and just kind of Michael's performance. Cause Michael's team actually didn't do bad at all. I mean, he did, a, he had a very strong week, you know, the only, question marks being Jimmy G and Joe Burrow. They did all right. They didn't do great. Um, but yeah, Lucas over Michael was, was my biggest upset, even with Andy Dalton only pulling up five points, Julio Jones only putting up five points, you know, Lucas still found a way to, to make it around that and, and beat Michael. Uh, the rest of his team did tremendously well, obviously Amari Cooper, highest scorer of the week. He had 38.9 points. Uh, he had Tom Brady with 27.16 and then, just to help matters out, Nick Chubb put 22.1 up. Um, but yeah, it was a, an interesting matchup, a little bit of a surprise in terms of how many points Lucas scored that this week. But he actually could have cleared or not cleared, gotten close to the 200 point mark if he just started Rob Gronkowski over mm-hmm. Noah Fant at tight end because Gronk put up 29 on Thursday night football. So I know it seems surprising. I was pretty hot on Lucas's team after our, our draft. And when we were discussing the draft breakdown in last week's episode, I'm, I'm actually going to continue to talk about 
Lucas later this episode, Mm -hmm. but we're going to now turn around and give you our biggest takeaway. So for those of you that were in the league last year, which is everybody, but Kevin, um, you'll remember that we did biggest upset and most shocking outcome. We've actually kind of through some trial and error. I have changed as the host, how we're going to go about, you know, the second takeaway from the prior week recap, and we're going to shift to a biggest takeaway in general as opposed to focusing on one particular matchup, which is what we used to do with the most shocking outcome. Um, And I'll give you an example, because this isn't even uh, my biggest takeaway is not even related to one particular matchup. It was that the league median is already doing its job. So instead of six teams going undefeated and the other six going winless after week one, which is what we've typically seen in any other traditional season where we haven't used the league median, Uh, After one week, we actually have a dead even split with four teams who are undefeated with a 2-0 record, four that are 500 with a 1-1 record, and four that are winless. So uh, pretty nice disparity there. I think you would have seen two teams get a quote-unquote lucky head-to-head win and be undefeated as opposed to two teams who took a bad luck loss if we were doing last year's rules. Um, But this year, obviously, introducing the median kind of helps to fight some bad luck or good luck issues. And just as a a note on how that's actually played out over a full season in our baseball league that some of us play in, where we tested out the league median for the first full length sports season, the top eight teams against the median in terms of record made the playoffs. So I'm hoping that it's going to play the same role and have the same effect for our football league where the eight best teams in terms of how consistently high they score every week, You know, I shouldn't say eight. We have six in our league that make playoffs. Hopefully those top six teams end up making playoffs. I'm hoping that's the impact that it'll have. Eddie, what is your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I agree with that. And it's actually funny. That was one of my uh, one of my uh, side ones, just in case we had the same thing. So I do have another one. Um, And I actually did have uh, your team and Scott's teams as some forces to be reckoned with again coming into this year. Uh, Scott's team put up 196 points with basically no defense and no quarterback for the most part. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick only put up 0.72 points and he didn't even play his defense. Um, and he put up 196 points to be followed up with your team, with 188 points, uh, Robinson putting up a, not so great 8.4 points, uh, which I think would be below average of what we would expect them to put up uh, with that offense. Um, I think your guys' teams, again, coming into the year, are really going to be forces to be reckoned with. And there aren't many places that your teams can improve um, if they play the way that they played this past week. But I know the both of you will continue to try to make improvements. So, you guys got some scary lineups and some scary teams coming into the year. Um, so that was kind of my biggest takeaway this week. Yeah, that's a nice segue into what our main segment this week is going to be, which is some week one power rankings. But first, let me give the top three standings update. I'm going to continue with this. And late in the season, I'll probably shift it to like a, a fifth and sixth playoff spot um, race where we're watching to see who's going to kind of take those final two playoff spots. But throughout the regular season, I'm going to keep it to the top three in the standings. I know you are sending out the standings weekly, Eddie, with 
uh, as a part of the graphic series that you're making. That's mm-hmm. super cool that you're doing that. And not just as somebody that makes content alongside you for the league, but just as somebody that's in the league, I think that's a great addition. It's super cool to see. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. But for those that are not recalling the top three in the standings from Eddie's graphic, they are Scott, the Thundercats, Lucas, which is Team Hugh Neutron, and Kevin, Randy Marsh. Those guys all have a 2-0 record. I think Damon is in fourth place also with a 2-0 record. So those mm-hmm. are your four teams that are undefeated after week one. But top three in order is Scott, Lucas, and Kevin. So as I just mentioned, our main segment this week is going to be week one power rankings and we're going to be going in inverse order. So starting with number three and counting down to who we each have as our number one team. Eddie, give me your way too early power rankings for who you expect to be the quote unquote power three at the top of the standings all season long based on week one results alone. So give me your number three to start. I mean, number three, I have to go with your team. Um, the league median did what it was supposed to do. Um, you lost, even though you scored the second highest in the league in terms of points this week. Um, and obviously with the league median, you got that win. So if it continues to do what it does and, and your team continues to play the way that they are, there aren't going to be many 0-2 or 1-1 weeks for you. Um, so I have you right now as my number three. Uh, who do you have? My number three is Lucas, Hugh Neutron. So as I mentioned earlier, I really liked Lucas's team after the draft, as you could tell by me predicting that he would lock up a playoff spot before we even enter the final week of the regular season uh, for fantasy football. That is his week one performance provided a little confirmation bias for me as he was the third highest scoring team. But it was the way that he got there that actually indicated to me that his team is definitely legit. If you run back through the box score, you'll notice that nearly every player in his lineup was kind of on a sliding scale of, you know, quote unquote, bad game to a quote unquote, good game. That is nearly nobody was a complete zero and nearly nobody absolutely exploded and carried the week. The only two exceptions to this observation were Amari Cooper and Julio Jones, where Amari Cooper definitely had an amazing game, dropping nearly 40 points. But Julio Jones had an awful game where he struggled to top five points. And so the reason why I'm encouraged by this is that while I definitely expect Amari Cooper to regress and not put up 40 points each week, I also expect Julio to regress and not stink each week. So I think that the 170-point mark for Lucas will become a nice constant threshold for his team to shoot for and i think that the ceiling is only going to get higher once justin field steps in as qb1 in chicago so i definitely liked what i saw from lucas's team and he comes in at number three in my week one power rankings eddie who do you got at number two number two i I actually have lucas um as my number two and as it should be i mean his team had an outstanding week and again two players in particular in his lineup that i i really looked at and I'm like, okay, those numbers are lower than they should be. And I think they'll be a lot higher as the season continues. And it was Devontae Adams and and Julio Jones. Adams, some might say 10 points isn't horrible. Yes, but for him, it's pretty low uh, consistently. Last year, what did he average? I think close to 20, if not over 20 points a game, um, which is a 10-point difference from what he's currently at right now. And then Julio Jones who hasn't been extremely consistent over the past year and a half, but if Julio Jones plays at where he should be, um, 
and the Titans kind of get that offense in, in order and figure it out, I think Julio Jones should be recording anywhere from 15 to 20 points a week. Um, and he put up 171 points without those guys even playing at their best. And not to mention Andy Dalton, which, I mean, he put up five points. But I think once he figures that out, like you said, that 170 mark could be a good hold for him. But I think if everyone plays to their standard, I think even 180 to 185 could be a setting point for him, which is extremely high and can be extremely scary for the rest of the league in terms of keeping up with that kind of production. So who'd you have? I just wanted to first comment. It's extremely high period, but it is unbelievably high coming out of just week one. Typically Mm -hmm. it takes a full season to build a team that at least has the potential to put up 180, 185 plus on a pretty regular basis. I I mean, I think everybody's team is capable of putting up a really high score here and there, but based on the way, again, that Lucas scored, it's kind of looking like if those standards that each individual player in his lineup set for themselves, if they kind of achieve even to the, I would say the 80th percentile, it seems to me like that 170 point margin is going to be pretty, it's going to be achievable for him, Mm -hmm. you know, week in and week out if they don't have terrible weeks. My second team, and I think after you shared that Lucas is your number two, I think we're actually going to end up having the same top three just in a different order. Yeah. My number two team is Otis and the Bell Cows, which is my roster. And you'll notice a similar theme with why I really liked my results from week one, despite taking the head-to-head loss to Scott. It was that nobody on my team topped 30 points. Uh, Dak Prescott was my leading scorer with 27.42 points, which I don't think is unusual or lofty in the slightest. He was my first round pick, so I would expect, you know, 25 or so points from my QB1, my first round pick. And conversely, only one player in my non-defense or kicker lineup scored under 10 points. You mentioned him, James Robinson, who put up 8.4 points. So what this tells me when I go back and kind of take inventory of my team after one week is that the 180-point mark is a pretty sustainable target for my team since nobody absolutely carried me to my second highest in the league week one total of 188 points. Um, I'll, ca- I'll caveat and say I think it's totally fair to expect more players to be zeros, you know, have bad games in the coming weeks for my lineup since every player has a handful of down games, but I think it's equally fair to expect some explosive games from those players in my lineup to offset the duds. So because I think nobody exploded, nobody had a really bad game, I'm kind of expecting that everybody performed somewhat to the standard that I expect from them. So I really liked what my team put up coming away from week one. Yeah. I think we're probably going to have the same number one team, but Eddie, I'll let you lead us off. Yeah. I mean, I think this one's pretty obvious and it's Scott coming in last year where he was the number one for almost the entire year, starting off on the same step and continuing that number one run. Uh, He put up 196 points, like we mentioned earlier. And with a zero practically coming from his quarterback position, not playing his defense and an underwhelming performance by Terry McLaurin, he still managed to score the highest in the league. And I think this is going to be a consistent for him. I think he has players that, are always going to have strong weeks. He has a lot of big hitters on his team. Um, And I think the 180 to 185 mark is a pretty good place for him to be. 
Um, and he could even put up over 200 points some weeks, just like he almost did this week. If he would have gotten a full game out of Fitzpatrick, most likely. So. Yep. I have Scott as my number one team, the Thundercats. So this is the team that is a little inconsistent with the tune of the drum that I've been beating for Lucas's team and my team so far, since Scott had a very explosive game out of nearly every spot in his lineup, which I do not think is sustainable on a weekly basis moving forward. So he got 34 points from Kyler Murray. He got 25 points each from his running backs, 25 from TJ Hawkinson, 55 total points out of his two flex spots. Um, But even so, even though I don't think that those are reasonable targets for Scott to set for each of those players on a weekly basis, the reason why I think that Scott can sustain a very highly weekly perform very high weekly performance without a consistent repeat of all of these explosive games. Um, You mentioned it, Eddie. It's not only that Scott scored a league-leading roughly 197 points in week one, but he did it while taking zeros from two different lineup spots, his quarterback two and his defense. So needless to say, I think Scott's team will continue to perform at a very high level, especially when he has the benefit of fielding a full lineup. So we're we're in agreement there. Eddie's top three teams. Number three, he has my team, Otis and the Bell Cows. Number two, he has Lucas, Hugh Neutron. Number one, he has Scott, the Thundercats. And then my top three is the same, but in a different order. I have number three, Lucas, Hugh Neutron. Number two, Otis and the Bell Cows. And number one, I have Scott, the Thundercats. So that is our week one power rankings. Maybe we'll kind of reintroduce this segment and I don't know, a month or so when we have a little bit more of a sample size, but I didn't know. um, We don't obviously have any trade content to get through yet, so I was trying to figure out what would be something interesting for us to talk about as a feature segment after week one, and power rankings have always seemed to work, so that's what we went with. But we might reintroduce those later in the season. We'll see. Matchup preview. Looking ahead to week two. Uh, just as a little preface, we also changed this segment up a little bit. So last season we would do best matchup, worst matchup, most important matchup. And the most important matchup kind of seemed a little redundant because it usually overlapped with best matchup. So we've actually ditched not just most important matchup. We've also ditched worst matchup because who cares to talk a lot about a matchup that you don't expect to be close anyway. We've added in thing to watch for. So it's very similar to biggest takeaway from the prior week recap, but it's more of like a looking ahead version of that. What is what is the thing that we want to watch for and not just necessarily specific to a certain matchup. So Eddie, kick us off with your best matchup for week two. I think uh, for me, it's Jake versus Lucas. Um, obviously, Jake didn't get the the greatest start to the season this year um, with him, I believe, being 0-2 because he lost to the median and uh, his matchup. And then Lucas on the complete opposite end of that spectrum with a great start to the season. I think Jake has a really strong chance this, year, this week to field a strong team and, and to have some really good luck. I don't expect Aaron Jones to perform the way that he did last week. I think he'll do a lot better. I expect Jamal Williams to do well above what he's projected to do. Um, That offense has included him 
much more than I would have expected it to. I mean, he touched the ball. I think it combined, I think it was around like 16 or 17 times in totals, including carries and catches. Uh, so he did very well last week. And like I said, I expect the rest of his lineup to do really well. So I have Jake and Lucas. It's a good pick. My pick is Randy Marsh versus Otto Rocket. That is Kevin versus Nick. You might wonder why I'm picking the matchup between our current number three team and number 11 team per the standings. But the reason why I'm particularly intrigued by this matchup is that I expected these teams to both be somewhere in the middle of the standings after week one. Um, Instead, Kevin surprised me with a hot start that showed me if his quarterbacks can simply put up respectable numbers, which they certainly did in week one with Jameis putting up nearly 30, and I think two have put up around 17 or so. Mm -hmm. While his skill position studs do the heavy lifting, his team could hang pretty steady near the top of the standings. Um, As far as Nick's team goes, I wasn't the biggest fan of his individual wide receivers, but I kind of figured that his wide receiver room as a whole would likely balance itself out and put up respectable numbers among that foursome. But instead, they only combined for 51.4 points, which isn't terrible, but it's definitely not exciting and what you would hope for on a weekly basis from your two wide receiver spots and your two flex spots. So I'm interested to see if this matchup will provide some quote-unquote correction to the norm based on what I initially thought of these two teams heading into week one, or if the gap will hold steady and Kevin will continue having a strong start to the season that you anticipated Eddie, or I should say strong start to his inaugural season Mm -hmm. that you were calling last week. And by the way, since we're talking about a bold prediction, I kind of wanted to revisit because I was just thinking while you were sharing your best matchup um, about the, the player bold predictions that we made i think it was on the very first episode that we recorded Mm -hmm. this season let's check back in on those so after week one we picked you said cd lamb would finish with a first round grade right and i think i picked jalen hurts both of those guys had awesome week ones uh as far as players that we picked that would not return great value or i should say being drafted in the first two rounds that we wouldn't expect to be in the top 50 I picked Austin Eckler. You picked Aaron Jones. I would say that you and I have been crushing so far. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then bold predictions. I think you had Marquez Callaway as a top five top receiver. Five. So that hasn't gone well so far. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. <laughs> you scored, I think, two. I picked yeah. AB to have the most wide receiver one week so far. Um, I think that holds true. I don't know if he finishes a top 12 wide receiver this week. I would imagine that he did. I believe he did. Uh, so he's. I'm off to a good start with that, and then he's running 11. backs. Eleven. So perfect. So, Tim, yep. I know. I know him and Godwin are the only two that had wide receiver one weeks out of yeah. out of Tampa Bay so far this week. Running back picks. I forget what we did. Antonio Gibson, maybe. I believe it might have been Antonio Gibson, but uh, here, let me. Uh, I can go take a look at that really quick. Well, while you're looking for that, looking for that, I know that I just kind of put you on the spot, but I was thinking, like, man, we were we did pretty well as as far as just week one. It's a tiny sample size, mm-hmm. but made some pretty good calls coming out of week or going into week one, and and now how that looks coming out of week one. So I personally had Alvin Kamara said we'll have his worst fantasy year this year, fantasy points per game. Um, I don't even all- know how Kamara did. 
he he actually did pretty decent in terms of fantasy points per game compared to last year. Um, he did score higher. I think he had, uh, I believe he had 20 points, 18 points last week. And last year he averaged about 16 points per game. So right okay. now he's hitting above that mark. So well, don't feel too bad because my running back prediction was that Saquon Barkley will finish in the top three running backs on a points per <laughs> game basis. And he did not get off to a good start for points no. per game. <laughs> I mean, his, his workload was limited and I knew that when I made yeah. the prediction, but I still thought in spite of that, that he would overcome the workload limitations early in the season to eventually have, again, a top three on a per, points per game basis among running backs. Plenty of time left to turn that around, but not a good start for Saquon. I will My say court- this. Go ahead. After two these two weeks, it's not going to look good for Saquon because they play again Thursday. It's a very short week for yeah. the Giants. So I he don't might have to have a CMC like season to yeah. uh to overcome and, and achieve my bold prediction. I hope he I also does. predicted Dak as my QB one overall. That that looks fine so mm-hmm. far. But yeah. Yeah. So I very a, impromptu revisit on our bold predictions. Who'd yeah. you have for the quarterback? I had Justin Fields as a top eight. So we'll see. I mean, yeah. he got a little bit of action in, Time in that tell. game. And he actually did really well when he came in. So uh, we'll see how he does. All right, thing to watch for after I sidetracked us for a couple minutes there. My thing to watch for is uh, similar to my biggest takeaway. It's which teams that are 1-0 and against the league median will repeat in week two to remain undefeated against the league median. So as of right now, the teams that are undefeated against the median are Scott, Lucas, Kevin, Damon, me, and Mike. I'm expecting probably four of these teams to repeat with a strong week two. And three of those are the ones that I named in my power rankings. And then I'm betting, I don't really know which, but I'm betting that at least one of the other three, Kevin, Damon, and Mike, will repeat with a strong week against the median in week two. Eddie, I'm curious, do you have a prediction as to how many of our current six undefeated against the median will remain unbeaten against it after week two? that's a tough one um just because some of the matchups coming into this next week are are, are going to be pretty tough for some of those teams uh but i'd probably go with maybe four of those teams to really to pull it through uh, and it all depends to me i think immediately the top three teams that are undefeated against the median and that i've mentioned before i think scott um lucas maybe he's a he's a question mark this upcoming week and then yourself, but I also have yourself as an upcoming question mark this week, just because some of the matchups and uh, that you have in your, in your league this week. So this one was a pretty tough one for me, but I would sit anywhere around four of those teams. Okay. So you're in mostly the same boat that yeah. I am. It could, I mean, we could be shocked. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe all six of us end up losing this week and nobody's undefeated after week two. That would be great for me. What's your thing to watch for Eddie? I think the thing to watch for me is is Jake's team. I think he had a pretty a pretty sad week, week one. Um, and, and I'm curious to see if he can turn it around versus Lucas this upcoming week. I know it's a tough matchup for Jake uh, with Lucas coming off of such a strong week and his team looking ridiculous. Um, and, you know, my other thing to watch for is can Lucas's team sustain such a great week one performance uh, going into the season and, and stay up as that number two within my power rankings. Um, so that's that's kind of my thing to watch and, and look out for this week. 
there you have it. Um, matchup predictions. So Eddie had, I don't want to call it a rough week, but a mediocre week. He went three and three in our week one matchup predictions. I went five and one, so I had a, I had a pretty good week. But there's plenty of season left to even the score, Eddie. Let's start with our first matchup of the week. You got Rolf Boy, Kyron, versus Otis and the Bell Cows. It's my team. I'll let you lead us off if you have yeah. for this one. So I actually have a Kyron pulling this off here um, and actually getting himself a W this week. I do expect both of you to hit over the median. So worst case scenario, you know, both of you will go one of you will go one and one. The other one will go two and zero. Oh. I don't expect there to be any zero oh and twos coming out of this matchup, uh, but I do expect Kyron's team to to have a pretty strong week this week. Uh, Calvin Ridley, ten points, not anything amazing last week. Uh, Adam Thielen had himself a tremendous week last week, um, but I, I expect that team that to kind of continue rolling and and I expect them to do very well this upcoming week. Not to say anything against your team, I think your team will do very well. Um, as well, but again, performances from AB hit 23 points. That's one when you compare it to Thielen. I, I think Thielen consistently will put up a higher point total than that Antonio Brown. But again, that'll that can be seen this week um, and throughout the rest of the season. But just to keep it short, I have Kyron. Who do you have? Came on the opposite side. I uh, picked against Kyron last week and ended up working out for me on Monday Night Football as Darren Waller. Even though I didn't think that he looked great, he basically got like 99% of the targets from Derek Carr in that Mm -hmm. Raiders passing offense. So JC ended up coming from behind to beat him. And Kyron, it's interesting that you say, or that you're still, I don't want to say still encouraged because it's only been one week, right? So we don't want to overreact. But it's interesting that you're taste for Kyron's team hasn't wavered at all because he actually not only lost to JC head to head, but he didn't pick up the league median win either. Mm-hmm. He's, he's 0-2 to start. Um, I do respect the pick of him at least finishing higher than the median this week and picking up one win for himself. I think it's interesting that you say I'll take back-to-back tough luck head-to-head losses because if you're expecting both of us to be in the me- above the median, but me to lose, that would mean that I'll go 1-1 one yet again, which I hope doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm picking my team to win here. No disrespect to Kyron, but I am very encouraged by my team's week one results, so I think I'm going to continue to roll here. Our second matchup, the Rickus Rick versus the Thundercats. This one I think should be maybe a little bit more interesting. Who do you have one in this one? So I actually, starting this off, I my number one and three power-ranked teams, I actually have them losing both. Um, and I think the biggest thing with Scott is obviously his team is insane. We've mentioned it earlier. They all put up really great performances, but again, the big question is, is it sustainable? He had a lot of people put up a lot of points. Um, and it's just curious to see whether he can sustain that. And then again, his quarterback position, I think this might be maybe the situation where they might have a little bit of an issue. Um, cause it's not great to rely on, everyone but two of your starters to win you a week. Um, it's very rare, and it's likely not going to happen. Um, so I think his entire team will need to show up for him to actually have a chance here, but I actually have Damon winning this one. It's going to be interesting. So we're definitely going to go in two different directions, at least so far with our matchup predictions. You're either going to battle back in week two or 
hopefully for my sake, I, I widen the gap because I went with <laughs> I went with Scott in this matchup. Uh, staying true to my convictions of putting him as the number one team in my own power rankings, I think Scott's team, again, I don't think that there's going to be quite the explosive performance from a wide variety of guys on his roster, but I think adding in points from a defense, which I know the Ravens got negative one, so he actually wouldn't have... We're talking it up as if he took a zero, um, and that would have been good for, or that would have been bad for his team this past week. But if he had the Ravens' defense, and it actually would have detracted from his total score. That being said, I don't think the Ravens are a terrible defense. I think they will produce positive points for Scott. But yeah, I think that what he ends up losing from not having career games from five different players, I think that he'll somewhat make up for in getting a QB2 that actually puts up points and a defense in the Ravens that hopefully put up positive points this week. So I've got Scott winning this matchup. Our third matchup, Eddie, it's yours with JC, who I think finally changed his team name to Tanhiro Kamado, which I actually don't think is the right... Uh, league. I think that's his name in our keeper league. <laughs> I believe. I don't know. That's JC for you. But Juan Decimo Magnifico versus JC. I'll lead us off since this is your matchup, Eddie. I picked JC in this one. I think that this one's going to be super close. And this is one of the matchups that I spent the most time with before I made my pick. Ultimately landed with uh, picking JC in this one. Curious to hear what you got. Yeah, it was a tough one. Um, looking at JC's team, he's got a lot of solid people on that team, and it, it, it'll be hard for me to be that uh, that tight end and flex position that he has with Kelsey and Waller, um, just because right now my tight end position isn't very producing very well, um, and my flex is a little shaky. So it'll be tough, but I do expect my team to turn it around this week. I expect Alvin Cook and uh, Justin Herbert to absolutely carry my team this week and do really well. Their matchups are favorable for them. Um, so I do have myself coming out on this one. Uh, very close. I think it'll be, it'll come down to the very last game of the night um, or even Monday night, depending on how things pan out. Going in three different directions for all three matchups so mm-hmm. far. Okay. So this next matchup is my pick for best matchup. For the coming week, it is Randy Marsh versus Otto Rocket. I have Kevin continuing to roll in this one. I got Randy Marsh. Who do you have, Eddie? I, I go in opposite directions here. I actually have uh, Otto Rocket, Nick, to win this one. Oh, man. This is going to be yeah. an important <laughs> week. This is the week, we're, yes. the week we're going to look back on at the end of the season and to uh, see who who kind of put distance between themselves and the other person. Second to last matchup, we have God of the Super Saiyans versus the Football Heads. That is Mike versus Sean. I'll let you lead us off with this one, Eddie. I think this one to me was the easiest one. I have the Football Heads for this one. Uh, I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to put up one point again. Um, And I expect him to kind of come back out and do his thing. So I have Sean here. Who do you have? Finally, we have a little bit of convergence. I also picked Sean uh, to win this week, the football heads. This was the second of the two matchups that I spent a lot of time with this week because I didn't really know who I wanted to pick. If you remember, uh, Mike had a pretty strong week coming out of week one. He picked up the win against the league median, whereas Sean did not. But I think uh, Sean bounces back here. 
I think he has a strong week. He's a team that both you and I had pretty high praise for on last week's episode, our draft breakdown. I think that he is going to, you know, bust out of the the one week slump that he had to open the season and pick up the win on a pretty solid team in Mike's team. So we both pick Sean to win that matchup. And in our last matchup, be curious to hear who you pick between Hugh Neutron and Penguins of Madagascar. That is Lucas versus Jake. This one is actually a pretty tough one for me, just because I know Lucas had such a great week uh, last week. Uh, whether it's sustainable, who knows? As we mentioned above, he has a possibility of really getting that team to sit around 170. But, you know, we'll have to see if that's if that stays true. Um, actually, I have Jake here in this matchup um, and, and taking the win on this one. What do you have? Wow, so you are picking all three of the teams mm-hmm. that you had power in your rankings. top three power rankings to yep. lose in week two. That is very interesting. I have Lucas winning this matchup, Hugh Neutron. Um, and no disrespect to Jake, but I, I really like Lucas's team. I, again, really like how he got to his very high week one output. So I, I think that this might have some blowout potential. I think this might be a wide margin between Lucas's final score and Jake's. Hopefully on the right side for the way that I'm picking it, Lucas being the, the guy that wins and, and puts yeah. up the really high number. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And hey, what's a, what's a good power ranking without a little bit of a uh, little bit of drama, you know? So a little bit of drama or in your yeah. case, just instantly <laughs> abandoning it, <laughs> abandoning it. Hey, so, I still but, think they'll finish the season off strong. It's just, I think these are some really good matchups this upcoming week that can kind of shift that up a little bit. So, yeah. And that's fair. I did, yeah. I did phrase the segment as who you expect to be kind of near the top of the standings mm-hmm. all season. Not just in the first couple of weeks. Exactly. So, but yeah. So, with that being said, go ahead and move on over to our around the league segment, going to our fantasy over under. Uh, last week, I went one and two, and Nate went two and one. Um, so, to open it off with this week, this individual had an absolutely horrible week last year. I mean, last week, uh, only put up well, practically one point, uh, and that was Aaron Rodgers. I have him as a 20-point over-under this upcoming week. Do you think he'll bounce back or not? Absolutely. Aaron Rodgers is the reigning NFL MVP. He is on an offense that has Devontae Adams, Robert Tunyon, who is a touchdown, I don't want to say vulture, hawk, maybe, maybe the better word. He has Aaron Jones, who is a very solid running back. Not necessarily doesn't help him for fantasy but in real life establishing the run with a solid running back helps to open up the passing game and the Detroit Lions defense is not good mm-hmm. so the combination of all of those things leads me to say absolutely the returning MVP is going to put up over 20 points against Detroit yeah and I agree 100% I think he's going to put up over and like you said, the Lions defense, not great. They lost arguably their best player in Okuda for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think Rodgers is going to have himself a field day this upcoming week and, and definitely smash that over. And if he doesn't, I might start to believe the conspiracy that he is purposely throwing games. Yes, I did hear that he hates this past the Packers. week. Yeah. <laughs> I did hear that. It's interesting to note, actually, a little side note. Jordan Love actually played the, most of the fourth quarter for them this past week. So 
I did see that. Yeah, that was really interesting. We'll I don't think it'll have too much of an effect on the year, but it's an interesting note. Um, all right, moving on down to our next one. Another player who did not have that great of a week in Mike Evans. This one was the toughest one for me, I think, to decide. Uh, I have him at 12 point over under. And I think that's a generous spot considering the weapons that are on that Tampa offense and how they used Godwin and Brown and Gronkowski last week. So I actually have the under here for Mike Evans. Uh, what do you have? I have the over and I am more confident that Mike Evans hits the over uh, of 12 than I am of Aaron Rodgers scoring over 20 points. They're playing the Atlanta Falcons who are also a weak defense and particularly their secondary is very weak. Um, I know that they didn't give up 40 points to the Philadelphia Eagles. We also have to remember the Eagles have one of the weakest receiving cores in the entire NFL. Mm -hmm. And they were still able to hang, I want to say, 29 or 30 points on the Falcons. So I have zero doubts about Mike Evans scoring 12 points, or I should say over 12 points in this upcoming matchup. And if you remember back to last season, which maybe this kind of refutes, refutes my point and my confidence in Mike Evans, Mike Evans started off super slow last year, too. People were kind of panicking. Mm -hmm. I don't remember who exactly had him in our league, but I remember there was kind of a panic in a couple of my fantasy leagues for people to the Mike Evans owners to dump him off. And then he came soaring back and finished the season as a wide receiver one. I don't think that that slow start is going to linger past week one this season. I think that Tom Brady is going to find his second favorite biggest target. I say second favorite because obviously him and Gronk have the history. But Mike Evans in terms of the wide receivers is definitely, I think, Tom Brady's go-to target on third down conversions in particular. And I just think that uh, he'll play a bigger role here in week two against the Atlanta Falcons. So I got the over on that one. Okay. All right. And the final one, a player who absolutely tore it up this past week, Kyler Murray. Um, I have him at a 25 point over under. And just for reference, they play this upcoming week, the Minnesota Vikings, which are an average defense, nothing really too great. I'm actually going to hit the over here. I think he's going to start off the season kind of like Russell Wilson did last year. Russell Wilson was dropping like 30 points. Like it was just normal. Um, so I'm going to go with Kyler Murray here, the over. Yeah, I'm also going to go with the over for Kyler Murray. Um, I don't think that he's going to put up 34 again, no. but I think 25 believe it or not, is a somewhat conservative over-under for Kyler Murray. I don't think that he's going to necessarily... Well, he could. I was going to say, I don't think that he could necessarily average 25 points per game, but he certainly could. I do expect that to be somewhere around like the ceiling of what he might average on a points-per-game basis. And I don't think that the Minnesota Vikings defense is particularly tough. They're not weak, but they're not one of the yeah. best defenses in the NFL. And I think that they... I look at their defense in a similar vein that I looked at the Tennessee Titans defense who Kyler Murray just shredded in week one. So I do expect him to eclipse this 25 point or I should say get over the 25 point threshold. And one more note is that Joe Burrow himself was able to put up 18.6 fantasy points, only throwing the ball 27 times and only carrying it once for two yards against the same Minnesota Vikings defense. So I would expect the volume to be a lot higher for Kyler, both in the passing game 
and in the running game. So I don't think that he'll have a problem putting up seven more points than Burrow did in eclipsing 25. Agreed. (laughs) Okay. So that brings us to our final segment of the podcast episode, which is our news and notes. Lead us off with, unless I'm completely blanking on something, I would say is some of the biggest news, which I originally had down here, Raheem Mostert will be out for eight weeks with a chipped cartilage issue in his knee. Found out after I prepped that Raheem Mostert announced himself on social media that he is going to be out for the rest of the regular season. Yep. So, Eddie, I ask you, was a Mostert injury inevitable? I think so. I, like I said, coming into this this year, I'm not very high on Raheem Mostert. That backfield was really good and he's just not extremely consistent to me um i think some type of injury or something where it would have taken him out of the number one spot there was inevitable and that's just kind of how it ended up being obviously an injury is unfortunate but it's kind of how i figured it was going to pan out i agree i also expected him to get injured i don't know about week one and for the entire season but i did expect him to get hurt at some point is there a clear running back one in San Francisco? I don't know about clear, but I think the young guy, Trey Sermon, definitely has a big opportunity right now to step into those shoes and and take that RB1 position. Um, he has the talent to be able to do it. Now it's whether he'll actually just jump in there and and uh, and actually do it. So. so my next question was, if it's not clear, who do you think will have the most fantasy relevance in San Francisco's backfield? So do you think it's going to be Trey Sermon? I do. I do. I mean, they, they, they picked him up this year for a reason, and I think they're going to use him extremely well. So I think to me, it will be Trey Sermon. I disagree. I think it's going to be Elijah Mitchell. Uh, he was the guy that they went to after Moster got hurt. Now I know that they couldn't go to Trey Sermon after Moster went down because he was inactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that Elijah Mitchell showed enough that they're going to continue to roll with him. And it's worth noting that this, the 49ers are very untraditional when it comes to the backfield. Um, I saw a stat last night on Twitter that for each of the past four seasons, the running back that started on the 49ers roster, on their 53-man roster, that had the lowest ADP in fantasy has finished as the number one running back or their team in fantasy each of the past four seasons. thought that was super interesting. So again, it just kind of goes to show you that the 49ers are very untraditional when it comes to handling their backfield, and it has a pretty drastic effect on fantasy. Jerry Judy has a high ankle sprain that will sideline him for four to six weeks at minimum, according to Broncos head coach Vic Fangio. Eddie, I ask you, because you watch the play live, do you think he actually makes it back by week seven after it looked like he almost broke his ankle? Yeah, I. it looked like it broke. Like I, It looked like something popped when I was watching it. So week seven is kind of generous. I, I obviously don't know how much damage is in there. It's actually, it's actually better to break your ankle than it is to sprain it because high ankle sprains usually linger for a long time. Um, I think week seven is a little too early for him. So no, I don't, I don't think he's going to be back by week seven. It is on that back end of the four to six week timeline that the head coach laid out, but I'll call it 50, 50. That's where I kind of sit with it. If he needs 
eight weeks to come back at a hundred percent as a, as a guy that has him on two rosters in leagues that I play in, keep him out until week nine. I yeah. would rather him come back a hundred percent than like you said, the high ankle sprain lingering for the rest of the season. So yeah, I mean, I it think could be he, like hamstrings. It's the biggest thing. With right. Hamstrings. It's right. Just, yeah. And I think that he probably will come back by week seven, but I'm, a little nervous if he does. If he does. Like I, yeah. I wonder if he's going to be 100% if they actually bring him back out by week seven. Mm-hmm. So the next question I want to ask you is, who in the Denver offense do you think gets the biggest boost from Jerry Judy's absence? I think, it, I think it's going to be Noah Fant. Uh, they used him very well last uh, this past week. Um, they used him in, in really good situations, and I think Noah Fant has a really good chance of sustaining himself as a top six tight end in the league. Uh, with Jerry Judy's absence. Yeah, I actually agree with you 100%. I thought that you were were likely to say Cortland Sutton, who seems like the logical candidate to get a boost since he's the other talented wide receiver on the Broncos roster. But I think it's going to be Fant too. Uh, Cortland Sutton only had three total targets in their week one game to Noah Fant's eight targets. So unless they're basically giving all of Judy's targets in the game plan to Cortland Sutton, I think that based on the targets remaining outside of what Judy got, the target share heavily favored Noah Fant. So I'm going to kind of assume that it's going to increase at the same proportion that Fant will pick up the same proportion of targets that he had on the, you know, on the team as a whole of Jerry Judy's targets and that Cortland Sutton will only pick up a few. So I'm in agreement with you there, Noah Fant. Should get a big boost. The Lions, this is the last one that we're going to talk about for this week's episode. The Lions running backs, DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, combined for 49.4 fantasy points on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers, which is typically a pretty pretty formidable defense. And it wasn't just one of them carrying the load. I believe Jamal Williams scored 25 points on the dot, Mm -hmm. and DeAndre Swift scored 24.4. Yes. So I've jokingly shared in a few groups that this backfield could be the latest and greatest version of the New Orleans uh, Kamara and Ingram backfield that saw both running backs finish in the top 15 on the season from a few years ago. Uh, But these two guys, Swift and Williams, or I should say, sorry, Kamara and Ingram had completely different play styles where Kamara was the pass catcher and Ingram was kind of the lower the shoulder power back. But in Detroit... Swift and Williams each had eight receptions, 100 total scrimmage yards, or I should say they each had more than 100 total scrimmage yards, and a touchdown. That is is each. Uh, So both kind of displaying a very similar skill set, a very talented skill set. Eddie, do you think that this was due more to game scripts, or do you think that these guys have a path to turn into weekly co-fantasy starters? I think for me, after seeing this performance this past week and how they used them, I think it's it's a sustainable path. I mean, they game plan this, I think, to a T. Um, again, like you mentioned, Jamal Williams had nine carries with eight receptions, and DeAndre Swift had 11 carries with eight receptions. I don't think that just happens as the game goes on. I think you pretty much have to script your offense to really – or at least game plan your offense to run through those two guys. Um, and I think it just worked out really well for them. And I can see this kind of sustaining for the rest of the season. I agree hundred percent. I think Deandre Swift is 
uber talented as a running back, but I also think that Jamal Williams was just as talented in Green Bay mm-hmm. as Aaron Jones was. I just think that Aaron Jones happened to be the guy that was featured in that offense. Well, now he's coming to a team that is willing to utilize him in the playbook more often. He delivered on their faith in him in week one. So I don't see why, based on how effective it was, where they were never expected to beat the 49ers, and they almost came back and won after being down, was it 28 points at one point? Yeah. I don't see how they can reduce the usage for either one of these guys after the talent that they delivered on in week one. So I I agree with you. I think that not only are these guys going to become co-starters in fantasy, I think that if they're used in the same, the same uh, capacity where both are not only running but catching the ball, I think that both are going to be uh, valued pretty equally. Like I think a few years ago where Kamara and Ingram were mostly the same value, they were valued the same for different reasons. I mentioned Kamara was the pass catcher, Ingram was the power back. If you have two guys that can catch the ball... I don't necessarily know unless there's a change in usage how you kind of delineate the value between the two. So all that to say, I think if this goes on for a couple more weeks, we might start to see Jamal Williams carry as much value as a fantasy running back as DeAndre Swift, which I would have never predicted coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, and and looking at it right now, obviously, just after one week, but they are running backs three and four on the same team. So... It's extremely impressive. Uh, Another thing that I kind of want to mention too is I think this helps out Hawkinson and his stock a little bit. Um, Because if you, if you look at it this way, you know, when Swift is on, on the field, I think that's when Hawkinson probably had his most freedom because the defense couldn't afford to really put seven, eight people in the box to try to stop Swift and Hawkinson to get free, whatever the case is. I think he saw a little bit more action when Swift was on the field. And then when a backup was in, you know, you can focus a little bit more on Hawkinson. So he wasn't getting the same kind of production. Now, if you have two running backs that perform very well, that give you the same type of output. I think Hawkinson will have a little bit more freedom this year to be able to kind of explore, run the way that he wants to run and and maybe finish as a, uh, as a top three guy this year at the tight end position, which three to four in tight ends, as we all know, is a pretty drastic difference. So yeah, and that's a great point that you bring up that uh, if Swift and Williams can both be equally as effective, um, and obviously TJ Hawkinson is one of the most talented tight ends in the year, defenses are going to kind of have to pick. Do you want to stack the box to take away the run game? Do you want to play the flats in the pass game to take away the, the dump off from Jared Goff? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to double TJ Hawkinson, who is probably their most talented pass catcher? Uh, so I think that all three of these guys are going to complement each other very well. Um, maybe Swift and Williams won't be on the field at the same time very often, but assuming that when one or the other is on the field, that TJ Hawkinson is also going to be on the field at the same yep. time, I think the defense is going to have some split interest, and I think that everybody wins in that scenario. So I agree. I, agree. I think this is going to be an unexpected, juicy team to mm-hmm. reap some fantasy value from. That's the Detroit Lions. I don't think that Goff is going to have so bad of a year after his week one performance. I don't know that he's going to put up close to 30, but I think that there's Mm -hmm. going to be a lot of garbage time opportunity for this Lions offense this year. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I golf didn't have himself 
say the the most amazing amazing i mean he had a pretty good he week had a pretty golf, he had a pretty good game he had a pretty for good golf game. he had a pretty good week but again it was garbage time most I, of that coming i, I think that i think he could have a lot of opportunity in garbage time this year yeah so i don't i don't know that i would call golf a qb1 but i could certainly see him be being a plausible qb2 yeah. in fantasy this year yeah agreed so with that being said you have anything else you want nope. to mention take us out eddie all right well with that being said Thank you, everyone, for coming to this episode of the Best Player Wins Fantasy Football Podcast. Catch us here again next week, and you guys have a good one. Yep.